Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Crimeland. My name is Julie J and this week I'm talking to the hilarious Joanne McNally about Catherine Nevin, aka the Black Widow. As ever, absolutely no offence is meant to anyone discussed in this podcast and we always try to talk about these topics in a human and empathetic way. introduced you there I'm so sorry to make you have to introduce yourself I miss it I miss introducing myself do you yeah. you do it so well you're really I don't know if anyone ever said this right you, Joanne but you're really good at introducing yourself <laughs> it's a it skill it is one of my strengths Joanne thank you so much I'm gonna dive right in if that's okay so Catherine Nevin yeah. So the 19th of March 1996, Tom Nevin was shot in his pub, Jack White's, in British Bay, County Wicklow. He'd been shot at point, point blank range. His wife, Catherine, had been the one to alert the guards to, the, to a robbery. And it was the guards who had stumbled upon his body in the back room of the bar. So, a bit of backstory here. So, Tom had been married previously, but after eight years, he got the marriage annulled because, of course, we didn't have divorce back then. So, I don't know in like what basis you could have annul a marriage after eight years I always think annulment like Britney Spears Las Vegas like you wake up in the morning like fuck I better annul that I don't, I don't know how you do it after eight years but he managed to do it so he spent years working with his wife in pubs, blah, 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 before meeting Catherine in 1970, when Catherine was just 19. And like probably how I spent most of my adult life, Catherine was kind of in between jobs. So doing a bit of modeling, bit of reception work. And Tom and Catherine were married in Rome in on the 13th of July, 1976. So Catherine, I don't know if you remember Catherine. Do you remember her from around the millennium? Late 90s. I do. What, didn't she have a kind of a sexy nickname like Black Widow? Now, was there nothing about her eyes? The guy that she hired to oh. kill her husband wasn't there? Some diamond was, eyes, or she had 
That was Lying Eyes. That was another lady. Her name was Sharon Collins Sinclair and she was the one who was Googling how to kill your husband. And how, well, he, your man wouldn't marry her. That's why she wanted to kill him. And uh, yeah. she was Googling like how to kill your partner and stuff like this. And yeah, she was... She'd start with like, you think she'd start with how to get your boyfriend to propose. She went straight <laughs> in with how to... How to get my husband to communicate. Uh, No, just like straight in for the kill. Yeah, she was lying. Do you know what was mad about her was your man, they produced all these emails were like, how can I kill my husband? This is his name. This is where he lives, blah, blah, blah. And your man kept seeing her even when she was in prison. Who now? Sorry. Her husband. So the guy, well, the partner that wouldn't marry her that she tried to kill, he like basically kept up the relationship and he's actually, he testified on the stand that time to say he believed Sharon was innocent. And then when he left the stand, he actually gave her a kiss and everyone was like, what the fuck? Like, seriously. But I'm more confused how a man that whipped hadn't proposed. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you see, he had adult sons and I think the sons were like, you're not marrying her and like giving our our inheritance away. And now Sharon is a salsa dancer in Belfast, just to say that. She's a salsa teacher. So just to say, but this was another, this was another blonde in the late 90s. Catherine Nevin. I I know Catherine Nevin, not personally, but I do remember driving past her pub and we were like, oh my God, it's the pub. It's the pub. It was Jack like White's, yeah. Jack White's. It's kind yeah. of some it's kind of an iconic pub now. It's a very important landmark in Ireland. It is, it is. So Catherine's there with you friends. Sorry, we talking about Edit all that out, Julie. No, no, no. So yeah, it is up there with Newgrange. I think the party, I think the party wagon bus is actually stopping Jack White's now en route, uh, en route to Newgrange for sure. So Catherine was a big fan of the cosmetic surgery, very image conscious. And Tom's family were not sold on Catherine at all. They thought she was a bit of a Mayfainer. Tom got the lease for the Barry House pub in Finglas. So he gets this lease for this pub and Catherine encouraged him to do so because she's like this massive raw head. Because at the time, this is like a big rap up mm. and she was like really Republican or whatever. So she encouraged him to buy it. And while she was there, she befriended this guy called John Jones. So not like Jonestown massacre guy. This is like a totally different fella. Uh, he was the local chairman of the Sinn Féin Common and he had dealings with Catherine, but he would say later on that it was only ever like this professional relationship. So Tom is running this pub that he doesn't want to run in Finglas. And Catherine heads off to the Red Cow Inn where she bumps into this fella called William McQueen, who like was this unionist. He was actually an orange man. And they embark on this like big long affair. So they start this affair. What? Yeah. Can I ask questions as we go? Or how does it Oh my God, please. Sorry. I never gave you a head. So please interject. So are you saying she was a big raw head and she had an affair with an orange man? It doesn't really make sense. Like you think you have a type, don't you? Yeah, it's just it's unusual. It's it like, is. It is strange. Yeah, love. No, love doesn't understand politics. That's an important lesson, actually. It is. Yeah, like it's a funny one because she was like, so she was this big Republican, and like he wasn't just a unionist. He was supposedly involved in like unionist paramilitaries and all this kind of crack. Like it's a, my big question is, what are you doing in the Red Cow Inn? But anyway, that's we'll, a whole other podcast. We'll end up there. You know that. When we, when women, female comics, when we hit 40, 50, there's no work for us. We'll end up doing a, oh. a residency in the Red Cow. I'm telling you now, Judy, I'm telling you now. Stop. It'll be like. Dreams go to die. Loads of people do perform there. Do they? Is it a gig yeah. place? 
Yes. Oh, I just thought it was a place for Debs and stuff. No, it's like, it's kind of where you go when, when your career has ended, but you still have a mortgage. Okay. You go yeah. to the you go. I mean, you the, residency there. the only plus if I do end up in the Red Cow is it's a handy one for the M50, isn't it? Very much so. So yeah, she was hanging out there. I don't know what you, and she met this fella and they, so they started an affair herself and William, even though like, let's face it, I don't know, I, they're kind of opposite sides of the coin to say, to say the least. But so they start seeing one another and basically in May 1986, so this is going on for a few years, Catherine had no interest in the pub and Fingus. Like it wasn't her. She, that was not where she saw herself. She was like, I need a bigger and better pub. So she convinced poor old Tom, to buy Jack White's in British Bay in 1986. They moved, with, so they moved into the pub and like she had, with, she had this kind of strange arrangement where like William actually came along to help them move into the pub and I don't know how she explained this away to Tom, but anyway, so t- William was coming down, staying for weekends and <laughs> it, it just... Was it, I, a, was it an open marriage? I don't, do you know what, from what I've read on this, I think Tom was, he was completely whipped by Catherine. Like Catherine just had him totally under the thumb and he strikes me, I don't want to say, just kind of like a maybe a gentle person that Catherine just walked all over him completely. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I actually, because I was looking up, I was like, did Tom have any affair? Like I couldn't find anything to suggest he'd been seeing anyone. But she anyway, you know, had a few partners. So this was one of them, William. So William then broke up with her, but Catherine wasn't impressed. So she got on to him and contacted him to say that she was in St. Vincent suffering from a heart condition. Now, she'd actually been in getting some cosmetic surgery done. Uh, William was totally unaware of this. He rocked up to St. Vincent's and she was like, look, while you're here, would you kill Tom for me? And he was like, no. <laughs> Hashtag casual. And can you imagine her with all the bandages? And like, she probably got a face lift, So her face is all bandaged and she's telling him I'm in for heart surgery. And he's, because he's a guy, he's not putting it together. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. It's not adding up. So she then got on to uh, her local Sinn Féin chairperson, because that's who you get on to if, you, if you're looking to kill someone, to see could she get someone to kill Tom for it. But again, he said no. So this is kind of like me at a junior cert disco, like asking all the boys to dance. And they're yeah. like, no, no, no. Yeah. And then John Jones, who is her, like, who was the Sinn Féin guy from Fingus, she goes back to him in the early 90s, sometime in the early 90s, with two black eyes saying that Tom had beat her. Uh, yeah. And w- asked John, would John kill Tom for? And again, it was a computer says no situation, but it would later materialize she had the black eyes from cosmetic surgery. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So she was probably on her way back to the Men 50 from the hospital, she's like, you know what, I'll just pop in here and just chance John. Like, would he kill Tom? So John was like, no, the answer is still no. Well, she's, very, she's very death. She's getting very thirsty at this stage, isn't she? Like, it's very just, desperate. yeah, it's, it's, you know what, it's not even subtle. It's just, it is, there is a whack of desperation often, isn't there? Mm, there is a whack of desperation. I've been there, but like, there's a serious whack of desperation off Catherine. <laughs> If you're trying to get someone killed, like I just assume that you go to the dark net, which is something I don't know how to quite access. I just wouldn't be going around. I would just, I just wouldn't be like asking my mates to do it. I know. It's like, you ask for flat seven up. You don't ask for a hit job on like your husband. 
No, and even I was thinking, even back, like she got the landline in St. Vincent's. She obviously rang from a pay phone or something and was like, you know, so it's just, none of it is discreet. There's just no. like, it's not one bit discreet. Jerry Heaps was another IRA guy that she approached and asked would he kill her husband. So basically Catherine was one step away from putting an ad up on Dundeal. <laughs> and, and the contact number would be Jack White's pub because no, yeah. nobody had mobiles. So he again told, so this guy uh, would later tell the guards that she had offered him money and he'd said, yeah, I would do it. I told her I'd do it, but that the money wasn't enough. So like clearly Jerry's moral compass is a bit askew. Uh, A big thing with Catherine was her relationship with the guards. She honed in on the local guards in uh, British Bay the same way she had honed in on the Republicans in Finglas. So Jack White's became like the spot for all the guard functions. She really looked after them and it became like a bit of a hangout for the guards. But then she ended up pissing them off massively when she called the guards when somebody robbed money from the cigarette machine. And she called the guards. The guards rocked up and basically had no interest in the robbery. They just wanted to drink. Like, they were like, okay, you know, where are the points at? So she was raging and she reported this to the superintendent. And then this guard boycott of the pub followed. So this is kind of where it all started, her falling out with the guards. This was a big thing. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember it was like Catherine Nevin versus Arklo Garda Station, essentially for years and years. So this is where it kind of all went a bit awry when she basically reported them to the superintendent for this. The boycott followed. And on the 30th of August, 1990, this guy called Mick McMurphy, he was like, a local guard, he called into the pub to see Catherine flinging a bottle of whiskey at Tom's head. So obviously like Mick did, you know, like that Homer Simpson move where he retreats into the hedge. So mm-hmm. Mick, Mick starts retreating out of the pub and she went back to Jack White's in 1992 on Good Friday to find it open. And Catherine lost the plot because obviously they weren't supposed to be open. And he was like, you shouldn't be open, blah, blah, blah. And she started this two-year campaign against him, like a revenge campaign for him rocking up on Good Friday. So she brought 17 complaints against him over two years, including accusing him of sexual assault. She is quite the gower, isn't she? I mean, she is definition mad bitch. Like, you know, the thing is, is that I actually, because I used to be such a lunatic back in the day, but actually I kind of feel a bit relieved when I read these stories because I'm like, but I wasn't that bad. She's like the Don, but like we all, she's kind of got her fingers in all the pies. But we, even I know that you keep the guards on side, especially if you're out, if you're casually asking people to murder your husband. You keep it sweet. That was a huge mistake on her part. That's her. That's her first big mistake. Yeah, I. I you see that? You kind of. You do have to play the game with the guards, don't you? Like for sure. Hundred percent. I do think it's absolutely hilarious though that they rocked up because she'd reported a crime and then they just wanted points. They just. But you see, it's. A, you see, I suppose she had set up that dynamic, hadn't she? You know yeah, what I mean? It's kind of. Yeah. Very, and you know what? It's very like nineties Ireland, isn't it? So like the guards rocking up for the points. It's just. It's all. It's all very nineties. It's also uh, very nineties Ireland that they knew the way to screw with her was to turn up on Good Friday because they knew she. Yes. Points. Yeah. You know that was the revenge. That was the revenge. And actually, just to say that to our international listeners, so back in the 90s, Good Friday was a holy day and the pubs weren't supposed to be open. Now that's I think it changed. Was it a couple of years ago, Joanne? Yeah, it's Two or three years ago. But so they weren't supposed to be open. So like, obviously they would have been fined for this. This is what 
got Catherine raging. So within the two years, she starts this like revenge campaign against him. And then after the two years, this case that had been brought against McMurphy in relation to the sexual assault had been dropped and he'd been on the desk for the two years, blah, blah, blah. Catherine was deemed obviously to be an unreliable witness. So at this point, Catherine was really trying to paint Tom, her husband, as a bad guy. So she was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up IRA meetings in Jack White's to make people think he had IRA sympathies. So poor old Tom is just not catching a break here at all. Around this time as well, Catherine's auntie, who actually was really friendly with Tom, they had a really nice relationship and Tom would visit her and stuff. And like they they had a lovely relationship, the two of them. She actually told authorities that Tom was afraid of Catherine. Tom was admitted to St. John's for alcohol treatment and he openly told people that he didn't have a drinking problem. It was just that Catherine insisted that he go and get dried out. But he was like, I don't actually have a drinking problem. I'm just here because my wife made me come. Yeah, well, you see, yeah, that you wouldn't really believe it, though, would you? No, I mean, I mean that's that. yeah. that's my line when I go to rehab as well. <laughs> While all this is happening, meanwhile, Catherine was engaging in an open affair with Tom Kennedy, who was the guard inspector. <gasps> so, yeah, but they made up. This was so. This this was the thing. So she was having an affair the whole time with Tom Kennedy. While also basically having this revenge campaign against Arco Garda Station. So I don't know, maybe it's because she was with Tom, she felt a bit of an untouchable, that that's mm-hmm. why she was particularly vindictive towards the guards. But I mean, that must have been some awkward pillow talk. You'd have to think. I, so she's having several affairs. Several. Yeah, she was a fan of the affairs for sure. But remember, this is pre-internet, Joanne. Like pre-Netflix. What else would she be doing? Like she had a lot of time. She couldn't be arsed with the pub. She ran the B&B bit, but that was notorious. It was supposed to be so, so bad. Like nobody ever returned. People went to British Bay for their night away and they never went to Jack White's again. Like the B&B side of things was just apparently rancid. So staff then also talked about the fact that she had this affair with, open affair with Tom Kennedy. They used to spend weekends together in the apartments and didn't seem to notice, like didn't seem to care who noticed. Tom Kennedy's wife, Mary, also said that Catherine would ring the house all day long looking to talk to him. And again, I kind of cringe for myself because I can remember ringing landlines back in the day and you're like, oh, Catherine, just one missed call is enough. Like just one call is enough. (laughs) There's no need to keep ringing. Uh, And then many also believe she was seeing Donal Obuka, who was the local judge. So she had a few on the go. Then staff talked about how like she was basically this totally nightmare to work for, work for total nightmare to work for, treated everyone like shit. She often appeared as well in the bar in her nighty and dressing gown and hated products. Yeah. I mean, like again, like you sometimes you say, Oh, well, I just go down in my nighty, but you don't do it, Catherine. Yeah, I know. You're like, well, I just go down and get a bag of ice or will I just go down and grab a white wine? I know, you can't really do But I don't know what I care if a landlady came down in her dressing and I'd be like, it kind of is a coziness to it. No, <laughs> I wear my pajamas like- all the time. I nothing, else, nothing else fits me. I swear to God, it's so weird. Can't get any you- of my jacket on. I suppose you would be thinking, oh, this is a relaxed pub if you yeah. went in for your Sunday night. This is chill. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I suppose there is that. There's that to be said for it. So she also hates, just as an aside, this isn't important, but I just thought it was funny. She hated Protestants with a passion. Obviously not William McQueen, but that's another yeah. story. 
So other Protestants she hated with the passion. And she actually got, well, now I don't know why she said yes to this. So the cricket club, the poor old cricket club in Arclow, which let's face it, as Protestant as they come, Joanne, Protestants in Wicklow, come on, you can't get any more Protestant than that. They had their summer function there. And she like essentially just like treats them like absolute shit. Sorry, hold on. Do you think the cricket club had their function in, in her pub? Yeah. I mean, like, now I think there were two parties to blame there. Because, like, why is the cricket club chairperson saying, you know where we'll go? That place where, you know, the IRA meetings happen? Let's go there. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I think we all have to take responsibility for that one. So she essentially, like, abused them for the whole day and then got the end of the night, got their trophies and threw them out, which just (laughs) awful. None of us like cricket. Have you ever had to sit through a cricket match? No. I mean, oh. they're relentless. Aren't they just kind of eternal? Like, didn't they just go on and on and on? Forever. Because I... They dropped dead on the... On the oh, court. it's just... I went, I, went, I went once when I was in Australia because they're kind of into it in Australia. And I was like working in this... I blagged my way into this like admin job and the guy I really wanted to score was really into cricket. He was like, do you like cricket? I was like, do I? And then I went. It was like, yeah, it was like 17 hours of my life. I'll never get back. Didn't even get a shift at the end. So it's a particularly testing one. Posh Jenga. That's what I think it's like. Oh, yeah. That's actually very true. Um, This is when the cricket cricket teams switch off to crime land. Please stick with me. (laughs) I'm very big with cricket demographics. Okay. So she actually, I mean, this, look, none of us like cricket, but it is cruel to throw their little trophies out onto the road and they were smashed to bits, Joanne. This is very. This is my favorite part of the whole story. It's just so bad. Uh, and Tom, of course, meanwhile, is this total gentleman. Everyone loves him. Like he's just in a complete doubt, and people are mad about him. The pa- weekends. This is when it all goes down. The St. Patrick's weekend, nineteen ninety six. Catherine was behaving strangely in that she was being nice to people. So everyone's like, something's up with this. <laughs> This is like Catherine's dressed, like the people staying in the B and B are getting their big breakfast. They're not being told to fuck off. Like something's wrong. <laughs> Something is wrong. If you fancy a bonus episode of Crimeland, you can head over to headstuffpodcast.com where you can avail of an extra episode every month for five euro a month or whatever you can afford. This month, I'm looking at Martin Payerl, who was a teenage mass murderer in Germany in the 90s. It's a great episode, if I do say so myself, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. As well, because we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, we're doing a bit of cross-promotion. We're advising you to check out this week, the one, the only Gerald Farley, who has a wonderful podcast called Fascinated. Gerald Farley is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. He is absolutely hilarious. The podcast is so binge worthy. You're going to listen to one episode, and before you know it, you've listened to 10. So do check that out at headstuffpodcast.com. I'm Gerald Farley, and I'm the host of Fascinated. Have you ever wondered about the pop bands you liked as a teenager? What went on behind the scenes? We had played this like grand prank. It sounds terrible, but I'm just so relieved it's over. And then they had this like great idea of getting another girl in who looked like Heavenly. What did they do afterwards? And all of a sudden you're like, that's the end of that. It was all blowing up when it all kind of just unraveled. And I thought it would last forever and it didn't. Check out Fascinated with me, Gerald Farley on the Headstuff Podcast Network. 
so yeah. she's offering to do stuff for Tom and Tom is like nervous as he would be. She's like, he's like, what is this about? So she's offering to drive to suppliers and to the bank. Basically, it was very clear that her goal was that she didn't want him to lodge the money from the week, the takings for the week in the bank. So she was trying to delay him or something. And on the Sunday then of the bank holiday, because obviously it's St. Patrick's against the bank holiday, she barred the staff from staying over, even though usually the younger staff would stay over, like if they'd gone to the disco was how they referred to the disco. Um, at about 6, a, 6 p.m., a man with a big black coat and a black bag called into the pub. <laughs> I mean... World's worst criminal. But anyways, this guy's gone around in the shades, the cap, the black coat, the trench coat, and a big black bag. Uh, he calls in. Now, around this time as well, Catherine decided to close up early. So it's six o'clock on a bank holiday weekend. And she's like, you know what? Let's call it a night. Closes the curtains, which had never been closed, apparently, the whole time. Closes the curtains. And then two older men who've been drinking at the pub asked Tom for a lift. Catherine was like, no, 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 I'll give you a lift. Again, everyone's like, this is so not Catherine at all. Fast forward to half past four in the morning. The guards arrive following a call from Catherine. Catherine appeared to be in shock, describing how she'd been woken up by two men and a clap was threatening her. She then said she heard a bang downstairs. She said she hadn't gone looking for Tom, but the guards found Tom lying dead in the kitchen. Now, they found no sign of a break-in. Catherine's jewellery was all there. Admittedly, it was kind of thrown around the landing, but none of it was missing. Uh, nothing had been taken at all. She had no marks on her ankles, despite the fact she claimed that she'd been tied up. She told the guards that they would find the takings for the night in the ledger beside Tom, even though she told them as well, oh, but I wasn't in the kitchen, but like, you'd probably find the the takings there beside him. And they thought it was odd as well that she hadn't pressed the panic button in the bedroom. Oh, so it was by the bed and she hadn't pressed that no fingerprints other than hers on the jewellery box and it's all looking a bit fishy Tuesday then Catherine refused to give a signed statement at the Arklow Garda station saying it would only be changed by the guards so Tom's funeral happens on the Wednesday people notice that Catherine's acting a bit of a merry widow so she rocks up and she's late she says the guards delayed her and Tom's sister also noted that Catherine said she'd been reading when the men broke in. And then when she was asked at the afters of the funeral, when she was asked the reception, oh, like, you know, what did they look like? She said she couldn't tell because it was dark. And then everyone's like, but how could you be reading? So the story was changing a lot. And then the pub opened up actually very soon after the murder. The following week, the pub opened up. And weirdly, she stopped staff from cleaning the blood, saying she wanted customers to see what happened there. Gross. I mean, we've all watched Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, but that's just a step too far, isn't it? Yeah, like that's very strange now. Murderobelia. She wanted to she probably wanted to make money. <laughs> that was it. She wanted to make money. She wanted to give give tours of where her husband it got could, murdered. It, it, you know what? It, I'd say based on Catherine, it easily could have it easily could have been something like that. So she had basically there was a shotgun in the ga- in the pub and it belonged to Tom but it wasn't the shotgun used to kill Tom but they basically brought they had to suppose they were trying to get Catherine for something so they nabbed her they arrested her for knowledge of unlawful profe- possession of a firearm and they brought her in but it was just an excuse to question her 
And she was completely defiant. She was having none of it. The papers at the time took photos of her being brought down to the guard station. And she was doing this big dramatic thing, call my solicitor, you know, this kind of crack. And uh, was having absolutely none of it. She continued her campaign against Arco Garda Station. Uh, Garda Station. Nine months after Tom's death, she claimed that she'd been assaulted by a customer. They investigated, found that that was completely not true. And she weirdly, which I don't understand, was still badgering the guards. I mean, if that was me, I'd be staying away from the guards. Yeah. But she was badgering them all the time. So, on the 18th of May, 1996, the guards searched the premises and they found the reg place of... This is what, where it all kind of comes together for the guards. They find the reg place of William McQueen and they went... They go to chat to him, her former BF. What and he, he's, like The reg plate of his car was just like hanging around the house. Yeah, it's a funny one. I tried to find this out. Like, I suppose back in the day, you know the way you used to have the address books and you'd write down like, you know, names and addresses and phone numbers. I, I don't get why she had written down his reg plate I don't oh, know you know what it could have been I'm only guessing I wonder because they have that car park there I wonder did she take the reg of all the Maybe. cars the, am I doing something like that it, could, it, it, it could have been but you know what it is a strange one I don't know why she had the reg plate and I don't know on what basis were they looking for it but they happened upon this and they, it struck them as unusual because like William McQueen he was kind of well known enough as like a unionist head and kind of a unionist paramilitary and he he had a criminal past as such. So they, they kind of wanted to investigate it further, further. I mean, obviously they had their suspicions about Catherine. So when they saw that she had the details for this guy, they went to speak to him and they interviewed him and he said straight away, look, initially he didn't cooperate and then his family convinced him to cooperate and he was like, look, she asked me to kill her husband. I said no, because obviously he wanted to distance himself. They then went and spoke to Jerry Heaps, John Jones. They all said that Catherine had asked uh, them to murder Tom. But insanely, so they kind of think, okay, this is enough to charge her. So they charge her with murder, but I just thought this was such an insane detail. So they charge her with murder Meanwhile, she has applied for a late license. Maniac, maniac <laughs> on the dance floor. And who grants her the late license? Only Donal Obukla, the local judge, even though she has been charged with murder. He's like, but I'm still going to give her the late license. But she was riding him as well, wasn't she? She was riding him as well. Maniac, maniac. I mean, just... So mental, the whole thing. So the trial begins in January 2000. The first trial falls through because the the room where the jury are talking, somebody finds out that she can hear everything outside the door. <laughs> so they're like, this isn't ideal, is it? So they say, look, we'll have to start again because we can actually hear everything out here. So they have to start again. The second time a jury is discharged, the jury is discharged because one of the jurors gets sick. And the third trial begins. And at this point, the media are just obsessed with Catherine. So they're calling her the Black Widow. She's got the blonde, she's got the blow dry. The blonde hair is looking great. People are very kind of interested in her image and the whole story. So the judge bans any, you know, media whatsoever from covering the case because they just don't want to jeopardize it for the third time. The defense tried to sell the idea, the idea, and I think Catherine had this in the back of her mind all along, that the local guards had it in for Catherine. So that was their thinking that like, you know, we'll just say that like they basically had it in for Catherine and she had nothing to do with this. All the lads are brought up. They all say, yeah, Catherine asked me to get her husband. 
And Tom Kennedy is up on the stand and they say, did you have an affair with Catherine? He was like, no, I just used to call into her bedroom sometimes when she was sick and Tom would actually ask me to give her medicine. What? Yes, this is what he said on the stand. He was like, sometimes when she was sick, I'd go into her room and give her medicine. And Tom asked me to do it. Like, ugh. Is that is Madison code for like semen? I don't get. I mean, like, were they? I know. It, it, were they having an affair? Oh, they were. They very yes. They were totally having an affair. But he was like, oh no. I mean, you are thinking this is a this is a really bad euphemism. But he imagine he just denied it, even though all the evidence, the staff, everyone was like, he they openly like Catherine, which I do as well. If I was an to be honest, if I was a landlady, she would ring the waitresses to bring up a cooked breakfast for the two of them in the room, herself and Tom Kennedy. So like, come on. Yeah, maybe Tom Kennedy had a wife and he was like, it's li- I'd rather go to prison than, <laughs> than actually admit like on, sta- on the stand that I was having an affair. He did. He, and the wife saying, well, yeah, Mary Mary was having none of it. So that's true. That's probably a yeah. fair point. Donald Abuka, the judge, has, like never had an affair with her. Like, don't know what you're talking about. Catherine then was taking the stand. So she's supposed to take the stand on the Friday. And like the, the defense were like, please don't take the stand, Catherine. She was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm an innocent woman. I've been framed, all the rest. But on the morning she's supposed to take the stand, she the court is alerted to the fact that Catherine has overdosed and she's in James's hospital. She claims, she was in this flat in town as part of her bail conditions, that this man broke in and made her take these tablets and washing up liquid, fairy. Can you believe it, fairy? And that the man made her drink the fairy and, you know, consume the tablets. And then he fled and she was found by her brother the following morning. Obviously, the court are like, you can, there's an audible eye roll. Okay, so they have to delay it for a couple of days. She comes in after the weekend and essentially the evidence is a complete shit show. Says that Tom was an alcoholic and an IRA man. She never killed anyone. She never asked anyone to kill Tom, but she's contradicting herself all the time. It just, it doesn't go well for her. And surprise, surprise, she's found guilty of murder. So she's found guilty of murdering Tom, sentenced to life in prison. Interestingly, never applied for parole because she said that would make me look guilty, which again, I don't get. <laughs> but like, there's a lot about, I mean, this is a woman who invited a cricketing, or she, she allowed a cricketing event to happen in her pub when she made <laughs> I mean, not everything. She's not making good choices. I know. There's no good choice happening. I think, personally, the reason she didn't apply for pro, she was like a big dog in Docus in the prison and she ran the beauty salon in there. So the beauty salon apparently has always been this thing that people... Uh, makes sense that you know you have a lot of time to get your bits done let's face it like everyone wants in at the beauty salon and you can do you can get your qualifications and stuff you know it's it's the place everyone wants to be at in Docus. so she ran that and while she was there she was kind of nearly a bit of a I suppose she was like a dom in the sense like she ran the place and she yeah. was this basically this I suppose, matriarch for a lot of them especially Linda Bill Hall better known as a scissor sister. So yeah. apparently, apparently her relationship with Catherine kind of really, um, kind of messed up the, the sister's relationship and it kind of, you know, the, Linda and Kath, and Linda and the other sister then, what was her name again? Can't remember it. Anyway, they had a falling out over it. Now the big question, 
just the last one here. The big question remains, who helped Catherine do this? Because if she had shot Tom herself, she would have needed someone to get rid of the murder weapon. There was no gun residue found in her hands. And also Tom's car had been found in Dublin City. So they're thinking it had to be this other guy. A lot of people have pointed to Dutchy Holland, the man believed to have been responsible for Veronica Gearan's murder. In fact, Veronica Gearan, this kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies, this last little fact, Veronica Gearan had called into Jack White's following Tom's death to ask Catherine about Tom's death and Tom's murder. Yeah, isn't that creepy? And she herself then was dead only a short while after that. And a lot of people believe that Dutchie Holland was the one who helped Catherine kill her husband. Uh, After Veronica's death, Dutchie, there was actually a hit out on Dutchie. So he went to Spain and he was extradited to the UK later on and he died in prison in 2009. Catherine herself died of cancer in 2018. I forgot that she died of cancer in 2018. Yeah. And that is the story of Catherine Nevin, the Black Widow. RIP, rest in pain, Catherine, we would say. Oh, I know. It's so, but isn't it such a mad, it's a mad story, Joanne. It really is. It's, I think the funniest thing about the Hell story is how well-groomed she was. I think that kind of adds to the madness of it. I know, you but you don't expect a woman who's so, who, who gets curly blow-dries to murder her husband. <laughs> you just don't expect it. <laughs> you know what? Even at the trial and stuff, and she's there, the eyebrows are done. Like every week of my life, I'm saying to Fred, the old partner, I'm saying, look, Fred, I need to get my eyebrows done. And I'm coming with an, up with, with an excuse that I don't at the time. And you look at Catherine and she was like, she put in the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if Catherine Nevin can can go, can be well turned out. But what, what, a, what a mad bitch though, really. And like the fact that she had so many men wrapped around her finger is just, it doesn't say much about men of, this, of the male species, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, to no, be fair. It doesn't. But also it's kind of, it goes against her character, I think, that she wouldn't just throw Tom out. She'd get half yeah. of everything. Anyway, she was just being greedy. She wanted everything. I think, I think, she, you know what, it probably was just greed because actually when she was before, obviously she was found guilty of murder, they sold Jack White's pub for like 650000 which as we know, Joanne, would have been huge money like in the year 2000. It's like massive. Well, it was actually 1999. And like, obviously the money's got frozen by revenue. And when she got out, because you know, there was this mad, I don't know if they've resolved it, but there was this inheritance law issue in Ireland for a long time that like, even if you killed your partner, you still might be entitled to their inheritance. So his family fought that when she got out in 2018. But like, I mean, she died anyway. She wasn't going to get it, but she, you know, she died anyway. She died in the real world, not in prison. She got out. She got out. Oh, sorry, I didn't say that. Yes, she got out because what do they call it? It's um, um, uncompassionate release. So she was let out on compassionate release. She was let out to die, basically. Yeah, like it yeah. was. Yeah, it was terminal. So she she was let out and she died outside of prison. But personally, she said she never wanted to go for parole because she was an innocent woman. Blah blah blah. I mean, I would think it was more that she probably. Maybe she liked that position of power in the prison as well. Yeah, I get that. And as well, like, but it, you, it doesn't really fit because most psychos, and she obviously was an absolute yeah. psycho, they believe in themselves so much that they would usually, like your man Graham Dwyer is always trying to get <gasps> well. I know. I'm really scared he is going to, like, if I, you'd hope, yeah. it, obviously hopefully it won't happen, but that whole, there, there was kind of some dodgy data protection stuff going on, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, there was. But it's, I think this is actually a really good indication of 
um, if I was the jokus, I would be putting this on our flyers and our imagery. <laughs> Do you know what? what? I think I'm going to take up the residency in the Red Cow Inn, Joanne, and I think you should start marketing for Docus. <laughs> like people are turning down Perel to stay here. I think I think <laughs> I don't think anyone would be turning down Perel to get out of the joy. I can tell you. No, I do think I know. Yeah, you know, I I don't think it will be the same with the joy. It is a five star Google review. To be fair, people aren't even applying for Perel. Where that stands, I imagine in a female prison there'd be a great sense of camaraderie like you know what I mean like a big hen party I know I always think that is it like orange is the new black do you think yeah would you go gay for this day I would oh yeah of course yeah. Everyone needs a loving touch. Uh, absolutely. Oh, you sure? And again, it comes back to what else would you be doing? Wonder if I go gay after I'd say three, one prosecco. <laughs> Joanne, thank you so much for doing Never. this with me. I'm sorry that I didn't signpost what you were supposed to do at the top. <laughs> Jeez. I was like, oh, I'm just going. Julie's just going to read me a story on. Zoom. Oh my god, Joanne! Right. And so. I'd love to say this the first time with so many people message me after and like I'm sorry I didn't really know what to do there I'm like I just should tell people this is what it is it's so bad Joanne you're such a star you're just the best thanks a million This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.